probably actually talk about games. Probably. Hello, <laughs> and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, <laughs> podcast where a customer steals away some time from the gameologists of Red Raccoon Games in Bloomington, Illinois, and we talk about all the nerdy things that I need to get off my chest. Uh, today, I have only one of the store people here because I was nice and saw that it is a busy day. Uh, as we are in Halloween weekend and people are out and about trick-or-treating in the midday. And so I got Jamie to go ahead and come upstairs with me in our secret location. Hey, everybody. How's it going? So it's funny, you know, and maybe some point we should talk about just general nerdery because we've been talking with – and we've been recording for like the last 35 minutes. Sadly not. I wish because we would have had a <laughs> Dune cast also for this week as well. Well, um, we kind of went all over nerd movie we down did. there for, for a minute. So we covered Dune. We covered John Wick 4. We talked about Matrix 4. We talked about Knives Out 2. We talked about the new Bond movie. So we need to start a Patreon where people can subscribe to get, like, the pre-show and the post-show so they can hear all this fantastic content that we're talking yeah. about. No, it's, 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 it's cool because so we're recording on October 30th. It's Saturday. Last night was the downtown Bloomington trick-or-treating, and it rained almost the entire time. And I was out in the rain getting soaked, setting up a giant sea dragon in the middle of the street thinking, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. And then we had like 500 kids last night. Wow. And the costumes were amazing. And then today is Farmer's Market. And it's uh, there's always like trick-or-treating at the Farmer's Market. So kids are dressed up again today. And then, of course, tomorrow's Halloween. So, But uh, it's funny because we were set up at a booth out in front of the game store. And we were having a game of who could figure out what the kids' costumes were first. And parents were like, Nowhere else has understood who he is. And because, of course, at the game store, we got every anime reference, every video game reference, every movie reference as we went along. And so um, it was it was pretty amazing. Even walking in to start this podcast to the store and pick you up uh, or kidnap you, it depends, semantics, uh, <laughs> I did see an incredibly cute Pokemon trainer. Yes. Who could not have been more than three years old, I yeah. don't think. And the dad was definitely playing Dr. Oak. Yeah. Uh, and that was fantastic. Yeah. So. Uh, and you didn't see uh, the baby in the um, in the stroller was uh, Topai. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then uh, right before them, we checked out Pikachu and um, uh, who was the other kid dressed up? Uh, Leafeon. We checked them out right before you got there, too. So, yeah, lots of lots of Pokemon this year. Jamie, do you remember a time in your life when you didn't know anything about Pokemon? Uh, you know what? I actually, before I bought the game store, I had I was aware that Pokemon existed, but I, I don't think I could have named a single Pokemon. I don't even know that I could have named Pikachu. And it was just it, because Pokemon came out, Closer to your generation, not mine, right? Right, right. You and Jesse grew up with it. It was. It didn't start till I was in college, and so I never really paid attention to Pokemon. Um, now, of course, I've seen the cartoons and the movies, and you know, Kelly and I um, spent an entire summer playing Pokemon Go, and, and uh, yeah, now Pokemon is is you know, Pokemon is life, right? It's like it's like the spice from Doom. <laughs> Before we recorded... Pokemon, Pokemon cards must flow. Pokemon cards must flow. Uh, before we were recording, I actually heard you talking to uh, a mother and child that had come in, and you were explaining how there are sometimes two or three different cards for the evolutions of Eevee. And I just thought, 
I wonder if Jamie ever expected that would be a statement that would come out of his head. Like, that he would know that without any reference material. Just, boom, it's there. Yeah. It's it's a lot of it's self-defense, right? And and it's a lot of, because people come in and they want to talk to me about things. And you're part of what we have to do trying to keep up with everything that's going on at the stores. We are reading a ton of websites and magazines and and talking with other game store owners on Facebook like hey did you see this is coming no I didn't where's the info and and publishers are trying to push information at us and so you know there's a significant learning curve to work at the um, at the game store just of trying to keep up with all the different pop culture and most people who want to work at the game store are already part of this life to start with yep but I had no reference point on Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh at all. Um, I played Magic when it first came out. Um, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and I played a lot of board games. I had no reference point on Warhammer at all. I had never touched or, or seen Warhammer because it was just not something that any of my friends were interested in. We right. never did it. Um, we played a lot of BattleTech back in high school. BattleTech First Edition, of course, Fourth Edition is out now. Um, Talisman, we played a lot of first edition Talisman. Uh, my buddy John loved it and owned everything for Talisman. So we played Talisman and, um, I, you know, we used to leave it on and set up on Andy's pool table because with all the expansions for Talisman, it was a multi-day game at that point, right? Yeah. Um, but I knew nothing about the world of, of Pokemon at all before I bought the game store. And here you are now. <laughs> I know, right? Somewhat a certified expert, I will yeah. say. Yeah, it's it's um, just trying to keep up with all the stuff that's out there. And but every once in a while, a new Pokemon will come up, and somebody one of the staff members is like, "How do you not know that?" I'm like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I couldn't name the 782nd Pokemon yeah. release." You know, I'm sorry, I don't know the Chandelier Pokemon, which apparently is a real thing that I found out oh, the no, other it day. Is. Yeah, it is. yeah. I, so I didn't knew that one. Uh, I didn't know that <laughs> one because it's in Pokemon Go. Okay, that's fair. And a lot of the characters that I can name, I actually learned because of Pokemon Go, because Kelly was super excited. It was something we could do together, and and so we played. We spent a lot of time playing Pokemon Go. Much like the Force, I feel like there was a balance in the universe because we had Pokemon Go for a good year of people just going out, interacting with each other, being outside, acknowledging each other's presence, like making friends based on this one thing. And then we had COVID, which locked us in our houses, did not allow us to have any sort of social contact. So I feel like now, hopefully those forces have balanced out and 2022 is going to be a a much more usual year for the human civilization. Yeah, well, and so, all right, here's a a, a funny story. Speaking of people going out and about, um, when we hired Jessica to work at the store, and uh, Jessica loves miniatures and painting, and she teaches a lot of our painting classes. We were talking about Pokemon Go for something, and she's like, she's like, I don't know, if, we're not even friends on Pokemon Go. And then we both opened up our Pokemon Go, and yes, we were friends on Pokemon Go. Whoa. Neither of us remembers when that happened, though. <laughs> like, was it on a Facebook group, or did we actually, was it at one of the, uh, like a big event downtown or something, or one of the raids or somewhere? We're not sure, but we already were friends on Pokemon Go before she was hired at the store. And that is the beauty of nerd culture, is the fact that (laughs) you already can have some commonalities with people just by being in the same proximity. Like, if you're at the GameStop, a game store, uh, you know, or at GameStop, I guess, like, you already know these people are probably going to be interested in something like XYZ, and I can at least try and start that conversation. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, uh, last night we ended up in a conversation about webtoons. And I was like, okay, so I read a lot of web comics. Is this the same word as a web comic? Are you using it? And they're like, well, webtoons are different because it tends to be one storyline across like 70 or 80 pages, more like, a, like, like manga, versus web comics are usually a few panels yep. and to tell a funny joke, and then we move on to the next thing. I did see that you posted Least I Could Do the other day, which was one of my favorites. I, I still I check it every once in a while. Least I Could Do and questionable comment, uh, content. And uh, Control Alt Delete was good. Control Alt Delete, Sluggy Freelance started off good, went downhill. Mm -hmm. PvP versus Online was one of the first ones I remember. That was Scott Kurtz. Dominic Deegan? That might have been a. I don't remember that one. That was about an oracle that could like see the future, and he had like a whole. It was a whole magical world arc. I was very impressed by it, but yeah, it was that. And that was it. Like you would have these commonalities, but then you'd always find that one thing that that other person didn't know about. So then you could like exchange yeah. information and and maybe discover something new that you really enjoyed. Yeah, and a lot of that too. Back in the day, used to be. I mean, I used to. I I loved and I read for years and years Penny Arcade. Oh yeah. You know, and uh, last night we were talking about, it, and I actually got to go to one of. I got. I went to Penny Arcade Expo number three. Um, which was the first time it was in um, the Washington State Convention Center because they outgrew where it was before. And it had grown from 15,000 people one year to the next year, 37,000 people signed up, and they didn't know what to do, which was all an offshoot of the fact that um, E3 um, decided that they wanted to not be a consumer-oriented show. Mm -hmm. E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's the well, it was, and is now is again probably one of the biggest video game new release reveal expos on the planet. And they decided for a few years they wanted to take a serious track and be more like game developer, um, you know, GDC game developer conference. And uh, so all the people who just wanted to go and hang out, and play games, learn about new games. That's how Penny Arcade got launched. And and uh, and somebody in the conversation was like, I was there too, and I'm like. <laughs> that's pretty random because I didn't know anybody. I was living in Chicago and got on a plane and flew to Seattle. First time I went to Seattle and just to go to the Penny Arcade Expo out there. And I didn't know a whole lot of other people from Bloomington got on planes and also flew to Seattle to go do that. That's and, and they're like the story because Penny Arcade was just this little comic that two guys were putting together. And now they have their own expo. They have their own like side tangent role playing with Acquisitions Incorporated, which yeah. you see plastered on games like Clank now and things along those lines. So yeah. and Acquisition, Acquisitions Inc. has its own D&D guide as well. Yep. So there's an official 5e campaign setting for just how to run the lunacy that is that setting. Yeah, no, and, and now, um, of course, one of my goals that I would like to do is they have Penny Arcade Unplugged, which happens in Philadelphia, and that is no video games. It's all board games. Really? It's becoming one of the bigger board game festivals in the United States. So you've got Gen Con, still the biggest, um, you know, in, in late July. Um, you've got Dragon Con, which is in Atlanta, which is, I, I think most people would say is the second biggest. Mm -hmm. Emerald City um, Comic Con is also huge in the board games as well. Origins? Origins is up there. Um, you know, um, uh, what's the one in Madison? Game Hole Con is getting really big now as well. 
Um, and th- that one's growing a lot because Matt Mercer shows up there and runs uh, D&D events out of Gamehole Con. At, at is that the one where I see him always dressed up as like characters from his campaign for? I think so. Okay. I think so. And then, but Penny Arcade Unplugged is growing to be one of the bigger ones, but it's going to be hard for me to get to because it happens two weeks before Christmas and the store is oh. always swamped busy. And I can't imagine just being like, well, guys, sorry, I'm going to go play games at the convention for a couple of days. Good luck running the store. This is work-related. It's all the same. Yeah. You guys will do fine. Oh, that's the problem with GameholeCon, too. GameholeCon is, um, I think it's, it's Small Business Saturday, Black Friday weekend, is, is um, the one in Madison. Because Madison's only three hours away. I get in the car and go to Madison. And uh, I think it's always Black Friday weekend. So, again, the real lesson is, if you want to play board games, don't own a board game shop. That is really, I think the the magnum opus of this podcast is, if you really love board games, don't own a shop, because you'll never have time to do anything with them. You have a lot of time to talk about board games, you don't have a lot of time to actually play board games. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, wait, sorry, I'm just getting a note. Uh, Apparently this is a podcast before Halloween, like a day before, so we are contractually required to talk about spooky things. Spooky board games. Okay. So, yeah, and just because there was no natural transition to that, I guess my first question is, is there really such a thing as, like, a spooky board game? Or is it just a board game with a, a spooky theme on top of it? Have you ever been scared or gotten the chills playing a board game? Uh, No. Yeah, I haven't. No, I've really enjoyed the the excitement and the arc and the the way things are going. But I haven't ever said, you know, I, I can't say that I've ever been afraid playing a board game. And it, it, I think that the medium just doesn't lend to that because when you watch a scary movie, you have no control over the action. Yeah, there's nothing you can do to influence the outcome. You are along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, same with like spooky podcasts. At the same time, uh, which there's tons of great ones we can maybe get into later. Um, but with a board game, I always feel like you have a sense of agency to it, so you kind of control how that's going to end. Yeah, I mean, there's no jump scares that happen in a board game. Exactly. Right? I don't know how you would do that, right? Because that's always the, the thing that gets people in at the movies is, is the jump scares, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody pops out of nowhere with a knife and stabs the character you're following or whatever happens, and uh, that just doesn't really happen. Right. How would you even do that in a board game? I don't little exploding box in the center of the table or something? Like, you would need... This This is one of those places where I think technology would have to be included with a board game. Uh, some sort of app or something that then you project on a big screen TV. But even then, would it really be something that engages with the story, or would it be just a jump scare? Like, every, once, like every three turns, a monster jumps at the screen and, and freaks you out. So and that takes a lot of setup, and not everyone has that. Yeah, and maybe you could do something like that with like a game like Mansions of Madness, right? Because mm-hmm. Mansions of Madness has got the the app that you play with it, and it's really cool that it has it does have kind of a, cr- a creepy Halloween spooky vibe going with the app as you're playing along. But if the app every once in a while just went rah, it'd, be, it'd probably get really annoying after a while. Exactly, you know? and you'd have you to have a feature turned off. You can use the app to build dramatic tension, though. Absolutely. You know, but if it just if it just kind of yelled rah at you every once in a while, that would probably just get annoying. And I think that's part of it. I think when we think spooky board games, we're not really thinking of, like, scary things. We're thinking of tension-building experiences. Yes. And that, again, like you said, Mansions of Madness has is one big one for me. My wife and I love playing that game, 
and it actually we have to kind of mentally prepare ourselves to go into it because it's we don't know what's going to happen it's a prolonged campaign we try and there's a set number of stories so we try and like give ourselves time between them so we're not just like chewing through them all at once right you want but, to space out the, the the uncertainty a little longer exactly so there okay. was I one that, that yeah there was one that uh normally in mansions of madness you are in a huge room and or in a huge house and you're exploring or you're on a campus of some sort uh the one of the latest ones we played was actually on a train it was uh, Horrific Journeys expansion, I believe. I haven't played that one. Yeah, and so I, I won't go into too much spoilers, but it changes the dynamic when all you have is two directions to go, right or left. Huh. And the okay. gameplay that then comes along with that and the experiences that you have along with that is very tension-building because all of a sudden there's no place to escape to. There's, yeah. no, there's not a lot of safe zones that you can have. Yeah, I've only ever played just the base game. I haven't played any of the expansions for Mansions of Madness. The expansions do make it worth it. There are many okay. times where I feel like expansions with games are... They're going to add something spicy so that maybe you they can get another boost in sales of the base game and you know have a new way for the people that are really big fans. But Mansions of Madness is one of those games where every new expansion is going to give you... A completely different world. Uh, one is journey, so it's a boat and a train uh, that you're on, and the mechanics that go along with those environments. The latest one was instead of exploring like a mansion or like a college campus, you're exploring an ancient temple okay. and having to work with that. Um, so it's cool. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get into those because I've never played any of the expansions. I don't think we can talk about spooky games, though, and leave Betrayal at House on the Hill. How could we? That yeah. would be I mean, that's monstrous. Like, uh, you know, we, we just started, and, and for anybody listening, please join in. We just started a new Facebook group called Red Raccoon Board Game Fans. Mm-hmm. And just where people are just talking about stuff, and somebody started a thread that said, hey, what are your top five favorite board games of all time? You know, we have a lot of groups for X-Wing, and we have groups for Warhammer, we have groups for Magic, and all this stuff. We never started a board game one, and I don't know why, but somebody thought about it, and and Brittany and Angel set it up, and the the top five list there that thread has got to have over a hundred comments on it now, and the number of times that Betrayal of House on the Hill came up in somebody's top five games is significant. Um, I'd say at least thirty to forty percent of people had Betrayal of House on the Hill in their top five games of uh, all time, and that's understandable. It is a game that. You are not building tension against the game. You are building tension against the other players. Yeah, and it's the it's the betrayal mechanic, right? Yep. You never know who at the table is going. If you're not the betrayer, is somebody else? Are they already working against you right now, or are they still on your side? And you don't know, right? Even uh, the unless... betrayer doesn't know at the beginning of the game. Yeah. If they're the betrayer. Yeah. So you always have to... So for those of you who have never played this game, the first there's basically two halves of the game. The first half is exploration. You're inside a creepy mansion. You're, you're wandering around. You can go to the basement, the upstairs, collecting these weird items. And the more weird items you collect, the closer you get to the betrayal occurring. And depending on the room that you're in and the item that you receive in that room, then sets you to... Uh, a specific scenario that's written in another guide. Yeah. And in that scenario, it'll explain who the betrayer is. And sometimes it's just the person that picked up the item. Sometimes it's someone chosen at random. Sometimes the betrayer doesn't even know their betrayer until halfway through the second section, which is the betrayal. And then normally there are different win conditions. There are different uh, uh, 
options that both the players and the betrayer can now utilize. Um, like there's ones where the betrayer becomes kind of a zombie lord, and all of a sudden he has zombies that he can navigate around the map. I've had one where there wasn't a betrayer. The house just got picked up by a giant bird, and it was flown away. And then you had to figure out, what do we do with a house that's being flown away? And and there's still an element, I won't spoil that one, it's really good, uh, of looking at each other and saying, who is, who's going to get screwed over in this? Yeah, and well, and really so, that's one of the things. The replayability is so huge because there's mm-hmm. so many scenarios, and you never know which scenario is going to happen. You know, you you it's, there's there's so much replayability in that, and that's I think, you know, there are a lot of games where you can get bored after you know you maybe play it a half dozen times or t- you know, a couple dozen if it's a if it's a great game that you're really into. You know, the legacy games are all 10, 12 playthroughs to to get through them, but. With Betrayal, you've got people who are played 50, 60 times because there's so many scenarios in the base game. And then if you add on the Widow's Walk expansion, yep. now you've got 20 more scenarios that are in there. And, uh, I mean, it's just a ton. A, a good way that I always describe it to people is is super creepy Scooby-Doo. Yep. You know, because you're, you're stuck in a mansion. You don't know what's going on. You're running around like crazy trying to figure stuff out. And there are unofficial betrayal at House on the Hill miniatures that are Scooby and Shaggy and Fred and yep. Daphne Velma. It's like you watched a Scooby-Doo episode, but when you pull the the costume off the person, uh, that's oh, when man, the game withers. really starts. Yeah, like now you can really start the second half of the game. Yeah. Uh, the real the real joy of that shines through whenever you have uh, all the players have played at least once before, and yeah. they understand what's going on. Because yeah. uh, when you have a new player, it's still a fantastic game for new players. Even if you have experienced people and a new person, you can still have a lot of fun. But when everybody is on the same level, the same page of the amount of understanding and the amount of no knowledge of what's coming next, it it really shines. Well, and, and you can take that betrayal um, mechanic to other games too, right? And, <laughs> and it was it was very popular. We saw a ton of them came out. Probably one of the most popular betrayal games since... The Trail House on the Hill came out has was Dead of Winter. Yes. And Dead of Winter was let's take Betrayal at House on the Hill and tack a zombie survival theme on top of it with a little bit of maybe the thing mixed in mm-hmm. where you don't know who the betrayer is going to be and what the results are going to be because again you're going through those scenarios and it's it's a it's a cooperative game. Unless you get that card and you you become the betrayer and you're trying to sabotage everybody surviving the, uh, this zombie apocalypse. And so um, that one was super popular probably f- four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Tons of it. Tons. We sold tons of copies of it. It's a little... It's not. It's a little slower playing because it's more in depth. There's more going on. It's a richer experience. It's a little harder for new players to get into, but... Man, just some amazing gameplay experiences in that one, too. And to spin off what you were saying, there was actually uh, The Thing, like John Carpenter's The Thing board game as well, mm-hmm. which also then kind did of... Did you play that one? I never played that one. I did. So it was it was a bit simpler. It wasn't as intense as before, but uh, it definitely had that same vibe of you're, you're exploring, you're finding resources, you all have an objective, but at any time, uh, your, your personal objective could change. Okay. Um, and and I that's how I'll leave it. So yeah. Um, definitely a little simpler game, but still someone who knows how to play board games would have a lot of fun with it. Okay, that's cool. 
I think I think if we're talking um, spooky board games, not necessarily Halloween themed, but man, we've got a lot of Cthulhu games that are out there. Ah, There's so, so many, many good Cthulhu games yep. that are out there. You know, you've got the original, right? Like Arkham Horror, um, which is um, you know based in and around Arkham, the city. Yep. Um, then you've got the first big kind of spinoff that was Eldritch Horror, which is now Globe trotting. Globe trotting, trying to stop the 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 dark elder gods from taking over the world and driving everybody crazy, causing the end of the world. Then you had Elder Sign, mm-hmm. which is a dice rolling, push your luck kind of mechanic set. Yahtzee and Cthulhu, of, how could it be bad? Yeah, Yahtzee and Cthulhu set in your museum. Elder Sign is one of my favorites. I I love that. I played so many games of Elder Sign. Um, then, oh man, what else do we have? Uh, Mansions of Madness is in that universe. Yeah, Mansions of Madness, um, uh, Death May Die. Well, if we're talking still about Arkham Horror, which still has like even far-reaching ones, we still have the new one, which is Final Hour. Oh, which that, is the, that's the fast one. That's the one that you are minute. playing in real time. Yep. And then there's also Arkham Horror, the card game, which is a more narrative experience, that's true. and you are deck building. So yeah. really, that whole entire there's a whole scope of, and all of them contain the same characters, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, so if you find a character you love, you can play through all the games and have your which own adventure. Which is how they got the, where they started writing novels about what those characters are, what they're going on in between games and stuff too, which is an interesting kind of world building experience that, if you read the novel. It, it it doesn't give you spoilers to any of the games, but mm-hmm. it kind of ties you to some of these characters a little bit more. Adds personality to yeah. their quest. Yeah. So. But yes, going back, Cthulhu Death May Die. Yeah. Fantastic game. Yeah. We've talked absolutely. about it at length on this podcast. If you if you can bear to listen through the audio quality of the previous episodes, you will find that we speak of it highly all the time. Uh, again, one of those where you kind of create your own story. And for me, anytime I can walk away from a game and have a narrative in my head, I feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. And Cthulhu, Death May Die, Eric Lang does a fantastic job with that there. Yeah, and then there, there's so many other companies that have made Cthulhu and Elder Gods games. Um, Cthulhu you know, Wars. Uh, Evil High Priest. Yo, that's a fantastic one. Uh, <laughs> Sticky Cthulhu was a new one that just came out. I even saw that you had a squishable Cthulhu now on the shelf as well. <laughs> yeah, we have we have Cthulhu plush now, yep. and and so and and they people love them, right? Mm-hmm. They have the little uh, tentacles from Cthulhu and stuff. They're they're hilarious and crack me up. Um, now I'm not sure it fits. How would you, would you say that Zombicide fits into all this as well? So I believe yes, because if we're talking about horror. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of is is on the edge. But if we're talking about tension building, yeah. then yes, Zombicide fits into that spectrum, in my opinion. And I know you're a huge Zombicide I, fan, a, so yeah, a zombicide I was surprised you just didn't go with it. Um, but yeah, I think zombies still fall into that. And that game, I've had the pleasure of playing that with you, and it does feel like insurmountable odds are coming. And there it, is it, a tension it, it if you don't get going. It does ramp up the tension, and you mm-hmm. may die. Right? There's a, just because of the co-op game does not mean everybody's going to survive or anybody's going to survive because yep. the way the game is designed and the, the increased tension and difficulty as it goes along of, you know, like Zombicide, um, when you flip over a, an item card and it's a zombie instead and you're at the end of your turn and you have no actions left and you're just like, nah! And then the yep. zombies, you know, get an extra activation and just kill everybody. You had a plan and then your plan just went right out the window and... And I, I will say that the second 
uh, edition of Zombie Side, which just came out, and I'm getting to play the campaign with you right now, has yeah. been fantastic because uh, in Zombie Side you could play multiple scenarios as the same character, but there is something to be said that that didn't really happen that much with Zombie Side. I felt I never really set up a time where I'm going to play scenario one, scenario two, scenario three, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. But now with the campaign, I'm getting to know my characters more, remembering their abilities. I don't have to refresh myself as much. We uh, haven't had anybody die yet. We've, we've had them go down, but we've picked them up yeah, before we, the end we, of the we, game. We've rescued them, too. Yes. So so that's a good one. I was also thinking, too, when we were you know talking spooky games, too, of some of the lighter games that are out there, but really can kind of create that um, that spooky vibe, which you've got uh, Mysterium yep. and uh, Paranormal Detective that are kind of similar games that take a slightly different rift on them. Those are kind of lighter, more casual games for people who don't want to get super heavy into crunchy miniatures and, and strategy and stuff. And both of them, I, I often describe to people as clue on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. One person in each one of those games plays as a victim who has died under some bad circumstances, and everybody else is trying to play as psychics or detectives or spiritual warriors who are trying to figure out how they died and what's going on. And the the ghost has to give them clues, um, but the ghost is very restricted in what they can and can't say and how they can deliver those clues. And you could even, um, in that same kind of thread, you could even um, add Obscurio into that list yep. as well. And um, three different publishers all had similar ideas but slight different twists on them. You know, Mysterium, you can only give somebody cards, but the cards that you can use are super restricted on how you can issue them the cards. And and sometimes your card choices are just awful. And it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Like, the, only, the best you can come up with is, like, well, your character has blue in their outfits and this card has some blue in it. And it's That's... bad. And you get bad choices. Um, you know, Paranormal Detective has some kind of fun mechanics, like uh, one of the mechanics is you can use a, uh, a pipe cleaner and bend it into different shapes and say, and you can kind of make it look like a gun or a, a knife or a whatever weapon might be. My favorite one of that is the the victim character, the ghost character, can draw on a person's back and then that person can try and figure out what is being drawn on their back. And if you've ever seen any videos of someone trying to do that, it's incredibly inaccurate. But it is that kind of interaction, a different way of communicating at the table that is that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, so all three of those are kind of in that creepy theme of trying to discover the whodunit as well. Would you throw One Night Ultimate Werewolf or the Ultimate Werewolf series in there too? You know, if yeah. I mean, from again, going with that tension building, right, as you're going along... The uh, if you've never played Werewolf, uh, it's a classic. It's been around for forever. And Werewolf, you shuffle up cards and you deal out cards to everybody. And most people get a villager card, and but some people get, depending on how many people are playing with, get werewolf cards. And uh, the game operates with a moderator, and the moderator, um, you know, people go to sleep between rounds so that the werewolves can decide their actions of what they're going to do. The werewolves win if they kill off all the villagers. The villagers win if they can identify who amongst them during the day, of course, they're back to normal villagers, who is a werewolf sitting in their midst. And then um, the dramatic tension that can go with that can be significant too. 
you know, there's expansions where you add different roles and different characters on as you go along too. But, um, and it's, it's very interesting watching the social dynamics of that game, especially as you get near the end and it's like, there's two werewolves left and there's three villagers left and there's still opportunity to win, but it's going to be close and the tension builds. Who do you trust? Yeah, exactly. And I took, um, you know, the very first time I took Kelly to Gen Con, we played in one of the massive, there's always out in the hallway outside Gen Con, there's always the werewolf area at night. You can buy a wristband and you just sit down in a group of 20 people and you start playing werewolf. And if you get killed, you're like, oh, okay. And you get up and you should go sit down at another group and you can start playing again. So you don't have to sit around and wait for the game to finish. Kelly's very first game ever she was a werewolf and she won because she had no idea what was happening. <laughs> and on top of having no idea what was happening, she's got this innocent, clueless school teacher look on her face and everybody assumed that she was one of the villagers. And she was just like team building with everybody else, trying to figure out who it was. They didn't realize that she was the werewolf sitting in her midst. So what you're describing is the, the classic game of classic Werewolf. Game of werewolf. I am always a bigger fan of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. You can play with fewer people. You can play with fewer people, and it goes a little bit quicker. You have more rounds going on. So if you want that long classic with an, game... It uses an app instead of a moderator. Yep, and you have one round to try and identify just one werewolf. And if you can do that as a villager, you win. But if as a werewolf you can deflect it onto somebody else, then the werewolves win. Yeah. And I've always... I actually... Uh, at my last job, there was a Halloween party that we threw. I was in charge of coming up with some fun games. We had a bit too many people to really play it well, but I had enough expansions. I made it work. And we played an, an office one-night ultimate werewolf. Okay. Uh, and so... Because if you've got, like, more than eight or nine... eight More than eight people one night breaks down. It yes. can't handle more than eight. It's true. But if you don't have enough people, you can't play the regular one because you really need like a minimum of eight or nine people to play the regular version. So you find a little sweet spot in there for each game. Yeah. But uh, I think that those – I love social deduction games. I I think that they are for a specific type of person. I don't know if – because I know that uh, there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that as well. And I think that might also add to the horror element, the spooky element of it of – yeah. I, I don't I don't want to underperform. I don't want to overperform. I don't want to like this is not comfortable for some people, and I realize that. But for me, oh, I love it. Now let me throw this in there though. Here's something I discovered too, because you know we do a lot of uh, junior high game clubs. Mm -hmm. When you play with adults and when you play with junior high kids, completely different experience because adults. We have, like, in our mental, like, well, I can't just call John out unless I know it's him because I have to assume. And you you try to give everybody a little bit of grace, and you are you don't want to be that guy who's calling everybody out. And you're a little more uh, hesitant yeah. to, to be on the attack. Junior high kids are vicious. <laughs> they are vicious. They are, like, he smiled funny. Bam, and everybody votes, and that guy's dead because he <laughs> smiled funny, right? Or he didn't smile at all. And I'm the moderator at these junior high game clubs, and I'm like, well, if you smile, you're dead. If you didn't smile, you're dead. How do you navigate this if you're other, other players? And, and, yeah, the junior high kids are vicious. So the games go much, much faster because the junior high kids will just be like, you know, he's sitting next to Sarah, and Sarah smelled funny last term. And, and so, you know, bam, that person, that, that kid's dead too. And it's just, it's a crazy experience watching the difference, the night and day difference between junior high kids and adults playing that game. 
I, whenever I played One Night Ultimate Werewolf with adults, it's always the same process. And I'm assuming that it could probably be the same for the junior hires, though. And that is, the first round, nobody talks. If this is their first time playing, just everyone is quiet. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to interact. Uh, the nice thing about these games is that you also have, some of the villagers have special abilities that allow you to go ahead and say, all right, if you're the oracle, you were able to look at somebody's card. Who is the oracle and what did they see? And, and so you can kind of prompt that action. The second time people play, now they're in it. And they're like, yeah. okay, I need to know all the information so I can make decisions. And based on it, who was this? Who was this? Who's that? And then the third round is where the sweetness happens, where everyone starts being quiet, but still talking. Yeah. And trying to see just what they can pull from people and allowing that freedom to say, you know, waiting till the last two minutes to announce that you are the Oracle or yeah, last minute to announce that you're the Oracle and you chose that person and they are definitely the werewolf. Yeah. And then seeing that the werewolves don't have any time left in order to make up in that, uh, in that sequence. And so it's, it is definitely a tension building game for but sure. And the junior high kids too. One of the things I like to do with them is I they have to tell me who they are in the village and what their role in the village is, and kind of to give their backstory. And they will come up with the craziest story about how they've been <laughs> the third generation of baker in their family, and their father invented the sourdough, and some of the craziest <laughs> stories I've ever gotten out of that. And um and, and they're or they're related. This is my my brother in law. And he's the, you know, they, they have these relationships of how they operate in the villages. It, it is really quite an experience to watch how the junior high kids play compared to how adults play. It's, it's really interesting. Speaking of a, a bit more of a, a juvenile experience uh, and also kind of going off on zombie side that we were talking about earlier, I do want to okay. bring up the classic zombies. <laughs> with exclamation points. Yeah, zombie, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is, I think that game's like 25 or 30 years old now. It was one of the first ones that, other than the, the standard, you know, Monopoly and, and Sorry, one of the first board games I bought. Because uh, it was it was so unique, and I'd never seen anything like it before. And I got it down on the table with some friends, and I didn't understand half the rules whenever we got started. Uh-huh. But it was a fun time. And you do kind of feel like this overwhelming sensation sometimes of are people working with me or against me? And you never know what the next corner is going to bring or how you're going to put yourself into a predicament by what you're looking for. Uh, I actually played it one time with uh, four friends. We did extremely well. We got everything we needed. We got to the helipad. And at the very last turn, one of the friends was like, I want to win. I don't want us to win. And he played a card that put zombies on every space of the helipad. Oh, no. And it decimated all of us except him, and he was able to escape. Uh, wow. It was my first experience with betrayal in a game, and it hurt so bad. Oh, wow. But that was also the first game I ever saw that had expansions. Yeah. Where it's God, very there's got to be 20 expansions of that game. It's a massive amount, and there is it's very much the George Romero kind of zombie, where it's like, okay, now this expansion is a mall. Now it this expansion a... is a... Was it Twilight Creations? Is that the company they made? That sounds right. It's been so long since I've even looked at the box. It's still on my shelf. Yeah. Um, but there's like, here's the military installation. And it every expansion added just a few more tiles and a few more mechanics. And, and a few but, more types of zombies. And a few more types of zombies. And then they, they, one of the expansions, it wasn't really expansion. It was like you could just buy the big bag of zombies. Yeah. You know, just I just need a big bag of zombies. That's all I need because we're running out. It's gone too crazy. Well, and and also that same little little newer than that, 
that, that same time frame that's kind of gotten, I, I think Zombicide has kind of won the zombie miniatures game war, but uh, Last Night on Earth. Did yes. you ever play that? I played it once, yeah. That was more like that campaign experience, and all the expansions from that were um, the, a lot of, they, they, they all stole from each other. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, Zombies, Zombicide, and Last Night on Earth all stole ideas from each other, and but they all put their own individual spin on how it was going to come out. But Zombie, Last Night on Earth definitely was more of a campaign-style game than Zombicides originally was, or Zombies was. And it was like, uh, you know, we got to go over here, and we got to find the gas, and we got to get the gas back to the truck, and we got to take the truck and go pick everybody else up, and we got to get out of town. They were letting you play more of an entire movie yes. than necessarily a scene or just exploring and shooting zombies. It was yeah. much less like a video game. Yeah, no, and it was a lot of fun. There was a... I think that was like Flying Frog, Flying Relief or something was the pro publishers on that one. That's the one with the actual live actors on the box, correct? Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, because like you said, it was it was more like uh, you were playing out the entire movie. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good way to say it. Um, and they, they just had, a couple of years ago, the, the 10th anniversary edition, which was like a big box version of it. And so, um, so it's obviously younger than Zombies. Um, you know, but at first when you were saying zombies, we got to talk about zombies. I thought you were going down the route of zombie dice. No, and that is one I've never had experience. You've with. never played zombie dice? No. Oh God, uh, it's it's a it's it's a simple push your luck dice mechanic, and the, the the tension building on that one is it's a push your luck. Do I go for more um, you know army men, or or am I going to go for more? Um, well, you're going for brains, right? Because we're zombies, mm-hmm. we're trying to eat as many brains as we can before the military shows up. And but you keep rolling, and it's how far do you push your luck on that? That's a uh, classic Steve Jackson games um, dice game. They just actually came out with the deluxe version of it that we got downstairs. Comes with a bag and a nice player card and stuff like that. Because originally it was a dice and a cup. Actually, the original version was just. Here's a bunch of dice with some fun stuff on them and a, mm-hmm. a folded up piece of paper behind them. <laughs> that looked like rules. <laughs> yeah, that, that was rules, right? And then they were like, oh, Zombicide Deluxe or Zombicide. Now we got the dice cup. And it was just always fun because the the part number, I can always remember the part number because it was SJG, Steve Jackson Games, 1313. So I can always look it up to do the reorders on it. And the new version is SJG 1313 something at the end of it. So it's still the same basis. But it was it's like a little quirky, stupid thing that they didn't have to do, but it always was like a fun aside for me that they added that onto the part number. And with Steve Jackson games, the people who've created Munchkin and every other version of Munchkin, that is definitely in their wheelhouse. The, that that little bit of quirk is always there for them. Well, so. there's a there's a there's a good uh a, a Halloween tie-in right there. Munchkin bites. Yes. The vampire version of Munchkin, which of course takes the Munchkin up. We're going to make fun of everything. Mm-hmm. And they just did it to make fun of every vampire movie and TV show that they could think of. So it's not a, it's not one of the more popular versions of Munchkin that's out there, but it is if you're if you like Munchkin and the silliness and ridiculousness that's Munchkin, it's worth playing. It's yeah, worth and it's it a, it's a price point where you can say I'm going to buy this for a game night with some friends on Halloween. Yeah, it'll be a quick and easy game to play. Yeah. All exactly. right, so I'm looking at the timer. We have talked enough about spooky games to claim this is a, a Halloween episode. Did, you, did we miss any of John's favorite games? Like, no, is there we a covered, favorite Halloween game that you've got out there? We've covered them all. Uh, as an Arkham fan, I'm huge. Uh, Cthulhu Death May Die. I cannot think of 
a single game we did not cover. And as a okay. person who enjoys spooky games year-round, that that was quite a feat. Am I forgetting one? Are you going to drop a bomb on me? I think that there's two that we did not talk about okay. that were on my list. Okay. Well, one's not on my list, but one is in the top of Jesse's list because he recommends it all the time. And I just heard him recommending it yesterday. And that one is Hako Ono. Yes. Hako Ono is, if you think about the movie The Grudge, turned into a board game. That is the easiest way to think about Hako Ono because um, one person plays as the evil spirit that is um, haunting the house that you're playing in, and the other people are playing as a kind of like a cooperative team trying to survive this experience. And so it's a, you know, can we find and defeat the Hako Ono before the Hako Ono kills everybody else that's in the house kind of a game. Mm -hmm. And um, I played it once with Jesse a long time ago. I think I got the description right, but Jesse loves that game. And I I just had to throw it in there because I think he would be uh, uh, upset with us if we didn't at least mention that. That's fair. His spirit in the room is now feeling much more or less malevolent. one more Halloween theme game that I really enjoyed is Horrified. Oh and yes, Horrified is a few years old now. Um, it's from Robinsberger, and Horrified is basically um, a cooperative game where you're trying to survive against the classic Hollywood movie monsters. So it's like the Bella Lugosi, Dracula, and and werewolf, and mummy, and the mummy, and Frankenstein and stuff. It's those classic movie monsters. It's actually uh, Monster Club, the board game. Yes. That's what it is. Yep. It's Monster Club, the board game. For any of you old enough to remember Monster Club, whoa, Wolfman's got Nards. <laughs> um, Monster Club, the board game. Uh, and so that one's, that, that's, again, it's a light and easy kind of, it's more traditional board game, you know, of moving around the board and draw a card sort of thing than worker placement or any of those mechanics that you would normally see. I would say that if you have uh, people in your family that are friends of like Sorry, Monopoly and the story of life and or game of life, uh, this could be an easy transition. Yes, just to, that's, to move that's them exactly into that. that's one of my favorite things about it. It's like a it's like a gateway Halloween game to pull yep. people into this more robust world of board games that we all live in. Absolutely. And those games actually inspired two more that I wanted to put on the list. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then we can we can move on. Uh, but Abomination, oh. which is one of the newer games. I believe it came out uh, last year, maybe the year before. But in it, you basically play as a successor to Frankenstein, or a possible successor. And your job is to try and collect. It's a worker placement. You're collecting body parts, trying to assemble your own monster uh, or your own human being. And you also have to manage how much lightning it gets to in order to create the best possible slackrum of, of a human being possible uh and so that's really up there for me and the other one i want to throw on there and this is kind of a far stretch okay. but nemesis which is the the alien xenomorph uh james cameron alien spin-off you know homage yeah uh, that you're on a spaceship aliens are in it you're trying to dodge them uh and trying to get back to earth it's a better or, alien board game than alien correct 
And uh, while in itself that's more of a sci-fi horror, not necessarily a spooky horror, there are expansions that I've heard of. I've not gotten to play with them yet. Yeah. But they are they bring it more into, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, more into a cerebral, more scary, more... One of the expansions basically turns the game into Event Horizon. Exactly. Classic Sam Neill, super messed up. Now I kind of actually want to watch it for Halloween tomorrow. Because um, the Sam Neill had a whole stretch of 90s movies that were amazing with Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. Yep. Oh, yep. If, you, if anybody listening has not seen those, those should both be on your list of movies to watch. And right now, this time of year, is the perfect time to watch it. Um, maybe turn the lights on for In the Mouth of Madness before you start watching it. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the, the, one of the other expansions turns it into Dead Space, which is the video yep. game, of course. It turns it into a Dead Space board game, too. So, so I think it fits it's in like, there. It's on Grant's yeah. list of top games, and he talks about them all the time with yep. people. So I, I always know Grant worked. Oh, uh, Nemesis sold again, right? Because Grant tells people about it all the time. He's the pusher. Um, I thought of one, too. This is, <laughs> We're never going to end this I know, podcast. I know, I know, but I thought of one, um, and it's out of print right now. Hopefully it will come back. Um, the Fury of Dracula. Oh, yes. I own that. Yes. That is, um, it was for a long, long time, it was published by Fantasy Flight. And then it went out of print because apparently Fantasy Flight, I didn't realize this, Games Workshop owns the IP to it. Oh. So the games, Fantasy Flight was, games, Fantasy Flight was printing on behalf of Games Workshop. Then Games Workshop brought their own version of it back. Um, and this is probably four or five years ago now that the Games Workshop version of it came out. And then now it's out of print. So if you can find it, people grab it. This is a big, crunchy board game, though. Just be, yep. This is not like casual. This is a big, in-depth board game of our, you're, you're chasing Dracula and trying to figure out where he is in Europe. And, and there is so much going on. This is big crunch, two hours maybe two and a half hours. This is risk-level, like, yeah. commitment that you need for yeah, this game. Yeah, this is, yes, this is an evening. You're playing one game. Maybe you play a couple of light, fluffy games first, waiting mm -hmm. for everybody to show up, and then this is the game of the evening. I, I love that game because I get to put the chance to play Dracula. So in the game you play, some people play the investigator, so Agatha Harkness, not Agatha Harkness, that's... <laughs> Marvel. Um, yeah, sorry. That's that's what I had. Um, Mina Harper. Yes. Uh, and then Van Helsing, and I forget who the third person is, but some players play as the Hunters, and then one player plays as Dracula. Dracula's player piece is not always on the board. Uh -huh. The person who plays Dracula knows where they are in their head, and so they have to like be kind of kept honest about where they are, and the other players are literally searching the country. Once they find him... He's, his player piece stays on the board for a little while, but if he manages to escape, if he can get far enough away, he can disappear again. And it is a, a ultimate cat and mouse game, and there are special ability cards that you can play, and it it really does feel like you're having your own vampire adventure. Yeah. Okay. I got, well, I got one more. Oh, okay. All right. This okay. is it. This I, is the last this one. Is the last the one. penultimate okay. horror game it's is... It's for a game that's not out yet. Okay. But I want to play. Okay, that's fine. This will maybe lead us more into our next topic, so go for it. Renegade Games is bringing out my father's work. And I thought about it when you were talking about, like, you're a scion or a relative of Frankenstein, because that's mm -hmm. what this is. My father's work is this big, giant, kind of almost like a legacy-style game 
where everybody is their own individual mad scientist. And you have to do the things to take your experimenting to the next level. So there's a, the, including keeping a balance with your relationship between you and the village, because if you do too many bad things to the village, the villagers will, what they've said in the, in the trailers, the villagers will come after you with uh, pitchforks and torches, right? They will revolt. Yeah. And they will revolt on you as well. So it's like this whole thing of trying to balance. Uh, it sounds like a worker placement style game. And all we've seen is some images and pictures and descriptions of it from Renegade. And Jesse and I and Jeff were all just like, we're in. Just, mm, where's, and we were hoping it was, it was supposed to originally be here for Halloween. It obviously did not make it. Um, we don't know exactly. Actually, oh, I just pulled it up on my phone. Now, February 2022. Um, and, in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it, it looks super cool. That's, okay. that's, that's one I'm looking forward to coming out. So that game sounds awesome. Maybe that could be something that we play and like put on YouTube or something and have you guys like experiment with it. Yeah, all nerd out on it or something. Exactly. But sadly, it's not in the store right now. But there yeah. are a lot of great things that are actually in the store, including in the new hotness. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to that topic and, and finally pull ourselves away from okay. the horror genre. But there are some really cool things that I saw. And for the D&D lovers, let's go ahead and just get it started. Fizzbizzins. Guide to Dragons is... It's finally out. Yes. How is it? I haven't even popped it open yet. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. The alt cover is amazing. And the artwork in it. I mean, D&D hires... Wizard Coast hires some of the best artists on the planet. The fantasy artists to do these. these and it's gorgeous. The, the dragons themselves... Each individual piece of artwork in the book could be something that I would be incredibly have, happy to have hanging on the walls at the store or at home mm-hmm. in my office because that's probably the only place Kelly would let me put them is, <laughs> at home. Um, she she wouldn't let me mount the giant red dragon head from WizKids above the fireplace. That's so weird. Did it? It would well, just tie the room together. It would be perfect. The big fireplace, like right there. Oh man, this would be so good. You can put um, an owl bear skin rug at the floor. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm um, sure someone's made that. Yeah, but no, Fizzman's Guide to Dragons is uh, it's 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 great. So we talked about before. I'm a I'm a old school Dragonlance nerd. Dragonlance was kind of my first world for D&D. I had the D&D red box when I was a kid. My mom didn't know what she was buying me. She knew I liked dragons, and there's a big red dragon on the front of that box. So, But I didn't have anybody to play with, so all I did was I made like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of characters, and I made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dungeons, right? Page after page of graph paper and stuff. And uh, my siblings were like, there's no way we're playing this with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I know I, I had that stuff from eighth, uh, eight years old. I don't think I ever played Dungeons and Dragons until I was like 12 or 13. So I had it for like five years. But along the way, I discovered all the Dragonlance books. And my grandma was a huge, voracious mythology reader. And she would let me take her books and take them to the used bookstore and trade them in. I'd trade them in for Dragonlance books. So Fizzbin is, of course, one of the central characters to the Dragonlance series, he is, at the beginning of the books, he's Gandalf. Mm-hmm. He's a ripoff of Gandalf, except for he's Gandalf with a horrible memory who never remembers what's going on and casts 
of spells that never seemed to make sense at the time. And later you learn that Fizzman is much, much more. He's the dragon god Paladine. And uh, he's a platinum dragon that's the opposite of uh, Takis, the, the evil black dragon, uh, the lord of the, or queen of the evil dragons. And so this book is Paladine giving you the guidebook through the world of dragons. And it talks about dragons on the various, and I haven't read the whole book yet because it's only been out for a few days, but it talks about how the dragons exist on different planes of existence. So, for instance, Dragonlance being a plane of existence with uh, Toral, and then you've got Forgotten Realms as a different plane of existence, and you've got um, Greyhawk and, and Ravenloft and all these different places, and how dragons can be different from different places, but also how they can have this... Some dragons can get so big and so powerful, they can exist across all the planes of existence at the same time. As for instance, Tiamat, and right. things of that nature. So it's really kind of this cool meta world of, um, of dragons. And then you get new dragons introduced. We have gem dragons for the first time. We saw sapphire dragon with the first time in the, um, uh, the, what's the one where they went back to winter? Uh, Rime of the Frost Maiden. Yeah. So we saw, and we saw Shardon dragons there. As well, and then this one introduces all sorts of other ones, like the Emerald Dragon is getting a mini coming out, and the Emerald Dragon painting in the book is amazing, and the mini looks to be simply amazing coming out. It's I don't know when we stop calling them minis when they're 14 or 18 inch wingspans. <laughs> At what point are they maxis? So yeah, yeah. So so Fizzman, I've been yeah, it's it's on the nightstand. I've been flipping through it every night, and Kelly just shakes her head. So from my knowledge, it actually does not introduce any rules. Including Dragonlance content, correct? It is right. just about it dragons, it but does, it does include some new um, character options for Dragon Warden. Correct, and and I think there's Dragon Warden, which is a new Ranger subclass that's in there. Mm -hmm. uh, Drake Warden, excuse me. Uh, so you you get like a, a dragon familiar that kind of roams around, and a lot of people say that it is better than the Beastmaster, better than uh, most of like the having a a companion animal uh, because of the evolution that occurs. I know that they also have the Ascendant Dragon for the Monk subclass, which apparently in playtests was very powerful, and they've kind of nerfed it for the actual book, but still gives some uh, some new feats to the Monk, which some people think have been has been sadly ignored a bit by the D&D world. Um, but I have gotten to see a few of the pictures of the dragons. I have not gotten to really crack this book open yet, but I've seen a dragon with a hammer for a head that just continually apparently slams its head into the ground over and over again. I love that. I have seen the Eldritch Dragon, which looks like uh, a Mind Flayer and a dragon had a baby. Yeah, love that. That's terrifying. Yep. Uh, so I, the art that I've seen has been great. All of the talk that's been coming about it has been great. It just seems like a pretty much a slam dunk. And when you have a book just about dragons for a game called Dungeons and Dragons, it, it should be. Yeah. So. Yeah. This was it was the book. It was not only the book that we wanted. It was also the book we needed. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. So lot, lots of fun content there. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't really read all the character classes because I've been I skipped all the just to the dragons. Of course, get to the good stuff. <laughs> I've just been um, going to the dragons. You never get to play the game, so you might as well learn about the dragons, right? Well, and it's, it's so I I didn't even know about that monk subclass. I, I hadn't got to that part yet, but I'm playing in a I actually am playing in a campaign, and. Um, uh, later this afternoon, 
And uh, we are, one of the characters is a drow monk, so I'll have to make sure I point that out to Stephanie that there's new, because I know that her husband Chris just bought the Fisman book he posted on his Facebook page, and I'll have to point that out that that exists, and maybe she yep. could have some fun with that. I will say that uh, from what I remember reading the rules, uh, they, they get breath weapons. Um, down the road, they can actually grow wings, so it's very much kind of like the dragon sorcerer class, except with more punching. I don't know so, that we need Stephanie to have breath weapons. So, okay, yeah. that change change your mind on that. You know, just <laughs> your choice. Yeah. Uh, that was for Stephanie if she listens. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say another thing that I saw on the new hotness that I'm really excited about is the next ex- uh, campaign for Marvel Champions. Uh huh. Which is uh, Mad Titan Shadow. Yep. And so it's all Thanos themed. Mm-hmm. So in the previous, in case you don't know, Marvel Champions is another Marvel based game. Uh, where you, much like Arkham Horror, the card game, you build a deck around a character. A character has a specific ability, as well as some signature cards that go along with it, but you can actually create your own deck with that character. Uh, Normally, there's only, like, short adventures, so, like, I would equate it to it's a one-issue adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have a few of those, but they've also started releasing these campaigns, which is more like the graphic novel. Uh, the last one, we actually went into space. We got the Guardians of the Galaxy, and we started exploring the the actual uh, Infinity Stones. In the next one now, here's Thanos, and he's collecting them. Yeah. And it brings some really far-out characters. And uh, one of the things I've appreciated about this game is that they haven't just stuck to the, the, the MCU movies. characters that you know and love. Of course, we still have the Guardians. We still have Captain America, Iron Man, all of Captain Marvel, all of that. But... In this new version, we're getting Spectrum, which mm-hmm. if you've seen uh, WandaVision, you know who that is. We're also getting Adam Warlock, who's being teased for the Guardians of the Galaxy MCU Christmas special, or at least the next movie. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know about I didn't know Adam Warlock for the Christmas special. I, I, I just heard for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I, there is some talk I don't know. Okay. What was really there? I, I don't hold me to that. Whenever the Christmas special comes out, don't like. What's the Christmas special? I'm just like, ah, I don't know. All I'm still in my head, I'm still thinking Star Wars Christmas special, right? I, I don't know. But I think... Come on, JJ. What are you... Or no, James Gunn. What are yeah. you doing here, man? But I think after watching the new uh, Suicide Squad by him, I, I think he's got this. That I was think, a fun romp. Yes, it is. Was. And I think that's what the Christmas special will be. Um, so, yeah. And then... Um, but they also are bringing out new characters, Valkyrie... Uh, War Machine. Again, these are characters we've kind of seen in the MCU, but they're not main characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really kind of enjoyable to see them in a card and being able to kind of base a deck around them. And the the components are compelling. I will say that we in my house have some house rules for the game, because we do think it it is not easy. I will say that. I don't say it's hard, but it's not easy. Uh, but it is a game that is, if you want to invest in something that's really going to pay out for you, so far Fantasy Flight has done a great job with that. Yeah. Um, it's been super popular. I mean, every time good. one comes out, I mean, we've we've got, um, one of the things we do for those kind of games is we have, we call it a subscription. And a subscription for us with our customers for, you know, Arkham Horror or uh, Marvel Champions is, if you tell us, I want one of everything set aside with my name on it, um, then that's exactly what we do. It helps us to know how many to order of something. Mm-hmm. Because um, some of the old, before we started doing this, we would have problems with like, um, 
uh, Netrunner where we didn't know how many packs to buy. And but we have some customers, and, and you're one of them, who says, I want one of every Marvel Champions expansion when it comes out. So we yep. just know, okay, we have to get one for John and one for Tony and one for all these people. And we order, okay, we need this. And then how many do we need for the shelf on top of that? It makes ordering a lot easier and it makes it easier on the customers to know you're just going to have one in your name. It's if, you want, if you want them all, you know, it's just going to be there and we'll call you. You don't have to pay attention. John, hey, your thing's here. Come pick it up. That's fantastic. And yeah. it's a service that we truly appreciate about Red Raccoon Games. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it works out, especially for these kind of games where there's monthly content a lot of times. Mm -hmm. It's real easy to, to get busy in life and just miss one of them. It's kind of like your pull list at the local comic book shop. It, like it's it's, very, there for it's you. very similar, yeah. It's very similar. Is there anything from the new hotness that you're thinking of that, that is popping out to you? I know Fizzbins oh, probably was just your main focus. That's really all I did this week. That's <laughs> fair. Um, no, well, there was a bunch of new stuff. There's uh, there's some new content out there for Vampire the Masquerade. I did see that. The Book yes. of Nod um, and Sabat. So we we those have been pretty popular at the store. We do have customers who come in for every one of those books the same way as I like my D and D books. You know, TJ and Maya they come in for every one of those. And there's um, there's people uh, that was a big exciting release for them. Um, Lots of Halloween-themed board games, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. um, and then a couple things that are not in the new hotness right now. But uh, Sarah, who is the sales coordinator for Renegade, um, posted a picture yesterday that said that um, the G.I. Joe deck-building game and the Transformer deck-building game just arrived at their warehouse and should go out to distribution next week. So... Probably before the next podcast we do, we're going to have those, and I'm kind of excited for that G.I. Joe deck builder. All right. I'm interested in that. There's so many good, robust characters that you can pull oh, from yeah. that. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, for a, for a cartoon that was designed to sell miniatures, for to sell action figures, yep. right? You know, hey, we don't, we don't have, we, we want to make this, uh, we want to make this ship and we need some characters to go with it. Okay, now we got the USS flag shows up in the comics and we got shipwrecked and, you know, just goofy characters like, like we that. We need more characters. Just come up with random terms. Uh, snow job and uh, overboard and like everyone gets a code name. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, it'll be fun. I, I hope that they do a good job with it. They've done it. Renegade's been doing a really good job bringing licensed content out. So yep. I'm looking forward to those. Ones. So that's what's in the new hotness. Is there anything new going on this week as well at the shop? Man, here comes the holidays. Right. I can't believe that November's almost here. As soon as we put spooky season out of close, in comes the Christmas. I know. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get organized right now. We got our Toys for Tots box delivered, um, and all of our customers helped make that happen last year that we, um, there's, a, there's a program through Gamma that's called um, A Game on Every Table. And the way that it works is publishers would make games available to stores, and then we can make them available to customers where it's buy one game at full price, you can buy a second game at 50% off and donate that to Toys for Tops. And that program is just, we're trying to identify the last couple games and get those orders placed, and it should fire up by mid-November and go to mid-December. And with everybody's help last year, we donated 200, um, just over 200 games to Toys for Tots. And so the Marines were, um, 
you know, Toys for Tots is, of course, the Marines and the former Marines program. And they showed up to pick up the box. And I'm like, what are you, what are you driving? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's not just the box. It's all these other boxes. And they're like, what? <laughs> and so they, they called back and they're like, hey, get Bobby over here with his pickup truck because it was a, literally an entire pickup truck full of games. So, yeah. You're not so, just selling stuffed animals around here. It's not just action figures going in that box either. Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, it was we, we donated over 200 games. Um, to, so I'm looking forward to that program. And then it's just, it's the run up to the holidays at this point too. And and, um, you know, we talk a lot about supply chain issues for, for, for Red Raccoon. Um, Kelly's store is having all the same issues, too. So for me personally, and it affects the store a little bit, too, the, um, you know, she runs the Decorator's Grocery over on Linden Street, and she hasn't been able to get chocolate. And her store is the run-up to the holidays as well. We, we screwed up and bought a second store also dependent on Christmas holidays. And um, people were trying to get ready to start making their Thanksgiving chocolates and candies and things and their Christmas stuff. And there hasn't been any chocolate available. So theoretically, chocolate is getting delivered on Monday. And hopefully, Kelly ordered 16,000 pounds of chocolate in June. We're getting 3,300 pounds of that 16,000 pounds finally now praying the rest of this chocolate shows up because her store has a giant chocolate sale that's always the second and third week of November. So November's here starting Monday. We have one week to get ready for this chocolate sale, and we have not gotten all the chocolate. She sold 16,000 pounds in two weeks last year, and we've gotten 3,300 pounds so far. That was some very subtle uh, uh, side promotion right there. Well, uh, yeah, it, but it, it, it impacts me because, like, uh, yesterday – I had to get in the car and they drive to Decatur to fill my car up on my, my Ford Edge. I got 1,200 pounds of chocolate in there and brought it back from Decatur so that people could work on processing and getting it packaged up all weekend long. So then, thank goodness, Ben and Ryan were able to cover to get to the store early to be here for UPS because all boxes get delivered. And so we all scrambled in, in the store. They covered for me so I could go do things for the decorative grocery only to have UPS drop off one box with a few Games Workshop stuff. So I appreciate Ben and Ryan for doing that, and and um, Angel and Rhea and Grant and Alexis all coming in costume yesterday. We had a ton of fun for Halloween trick-or-treating downtown. Well, good, good. Yeah. Um, well, I think that brings us to the close of this spooky episode of Red Raccoon Radio. Thank you, you really again, Jimmy. out on some, uh, some Halloween creepy You know, games. if we don't have a third person to keep us in line, <laughs> we go way too deep, way too fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, thank you for listening, and keep playing. All right, bye, guys.